Since 1981, Unbound has connected people like you with families worldwide on their self-directed paths out of poverty. A brighter future is possible for these families when we all walk together. Sponsor a child today and you'll help a family take the first steps on their path. Change their future in just one click. Start walking with your new friend today at unbound.org walk. So obviously at this moment in time, lockdown's a very serious thing. There's unemployment, which is getting higher. People are locked down. With that in mind, how was your trip to Rome? It was amazing. <laughs> was it? Yes, and nicely timed because now you can't go to Italy without quarantining when you come back, as of today. So what you're saying is it was, it was just, everything was perfect? Yes. It was fabulous. Did Blair get any it photographs next to a centurion? No. <laughs> Is that not the cheesiest thing you do in Rome? Next to the next to the fountain well, on the steps? We didn't see any centurions. Did you not? I think yeah, I doubt they must must be the corona. <laughs> <laughs> no corona. No centurions because of corona. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome Elaine Martin today to share a, an example of how faith helps through difficult circumstances. How are you doing, Elaine? I'm good, thanks, Dan. Yes, doing well. Most of the time when people decorate their homes, they put Bible verses in picture frames on the wall. But as I look behind you, you've got Bible verses written on the walls. So faith's obviously played a huge part in your life. Oh yes, yeah, it has my whole life for as long as I can remember. It's always been part of my life, yeah. But obviously there came a point in life when it had to be a personal thing as well, but yeah, it's always been something that's been there for us. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. You were born in Asia, but long before you could ever ever have any knowledge of that, your parents moved to Perthshire. Yep, that's right. And growing up, your dad was a full-time evangelist. Yeah. So explain just firstly what that is for people who maybe don't quite understand and then a little bit about what it's like growing up with a dad who would be well-known as being the preacher, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it was great for me. You know, I, I loved it, to be honest. So, yeah, my dad left his job in the, from the bank when I was one and my sister was three and we moved up to Perthshire. And at that time, his work was really going around villages in Perthshire that nobody else was preaching the gospel in. He would put up a wee portable hall and preach the gospel for a number of weeks, then take it back on, back, back down again and go on to somewhere else. So that was what his work involved at the time. My mum and dad joined the church that met in the gospel hall in Perth. So that was where we all went from as you know from as young as I can remember I'm sure I was taken the first Sunday they went I'm sure I went too but I can't remember it 
And it was a, you know, the, by the time I was aware, it was a big church. There was a lot of young people. I had a lot of friends and it was great. Yeah. Uh, because of the kind of work that my dad was doing at that time, he would have always been in the home in the morning and we would have come home from school at lunchtime and he was there. And then he would have headed off in the afternoon to visit some people and then he would have a service in the evening so he would be home later at night depending where he was we would often be going to support him in the meetings that he had so we did go to a lot of meetings as children but as I say we now like liked it liked the company liked getting to know people we traveled quite widely at the weekends my dad who was also a bible teacher so at the weekends we would go to lots of different places and met lots of people and made lots of friends yeah it was a good life and we lived in a lovely village so it was a nice it was a nice upbringing yes only good memories I'm pleased to say so obviously you're surrounded by the bible being taught the gospel being shared the good news of Jesus Christ did that help you become a Christian or did you find it a very difficult situation to be brought up in no, not for me, maybe because it was a village and obviously my, my dad did have, he would have meetings for children in the village and for adults as well. He was well known, but I never really suffered for that at school because all my friends went to the children's meetings and loved it. So, so yeah, that That's wasn't an issue. It wasn't difficult. It didn't make me a Christian, but it definitely put me in the very privileged position of being young when I knew I needed to have my sins forgiven and that was the only way to become a Christian and be sure of heaven at the end of life so that was a privilege but also it had to be something that I personally did for myself even though my mum and dad were obviously so invested in in the gospel and their church and such like so but I was young I was only seven when I became a Christian but I I knew exactly what I was doing you know I knew I was a sinner (laughs) I there was no mistake about that. You know, there was enough um, discipline in the home to make that clear. And I'd heard it. I knew I was a sinner. knew I'd offended God with my sin. And that when the Lord Jesus died at Calvary, it was for me. And that the only way my sins could be forgiven was by asking him to forgive my sins and put my full trust and faith in him. So I did that when I was seven. It became a very personal thing and... Then uh, later on, I was baptised and became a member of the church in Perth as well when I was about 14. Okay. All the best Christians are saved at seven. That's just coincidental to the fact that... Are you saved at seven, Dan? <laughs> I, I would like to say. <laughs> so you see, you saved, baptised, become a member at Perth. What about school-wise and education-wise? How did you go on from there? So I finished school in fifth year at Creve High School and I I mean I enjoyed the social side of school and things but I didn't really enjoy the studying side of it so much so I had I didn't want to go on to university or college or anything so I kind of looked around at different things and I applied for a job in the local bank the Clydesdale Bank in Creve mostly because they closed at half past three to be honest (laughs) but um, yeah so I left school at 17 and started to work for the Clydesdale Bank and I worked with them until I had my first child, Johnny. That was what I did. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it all right. So somewhere between joining the bank and having your first son, Blair must have come along. So how did yeah. that come about? 
So again, I was with my dad, uh, uh, mom and dad at a Bible teaching conference near Glasgow and Blair was there with some friends and we all went out together after, got chatting to him and that was that. Then we did the old fashioned thing that we used to do, phone each other on a landline. Two or three weeks later, we went out and that was it. So I was 18 at the time and then we got married when I was 21. Very good. And then you were working in the bank for, for a couple of years after that? Yeah, a couple of years after that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was 23 when Johnny came along. Yeah, and I, I gave up my work at that point. So you have a son, Johnny, and then you mm-hmm. had Bethany. Yep. yep. And then just as Anna is born, somewhere between her being born and her first birthday, Blair goes full-time. Yep, that's right. You're currently... A full-time mother. Yep. So what is it like to rely on the Lord for every daily provision, fully trusting that everything you need is going to be met by him? Well, that is the way I was brought up because that's the way my mum and dad were. So I had seen it, you know, worked out before me in front of them. And it was something that I was quite used to. It was a big thing. Blair had already been doing quite a bit of preaching before like for a number of years before really and it just became you know that you had to decide which way we'd go and it became clear and we got great guidance from the Lord that he was to give up his employment and to work for the Lord full time with different churches in Scotland and eventually further further away it was a big thing but as I say I had kind of seen it worked out in front of me it was something that I was quite used to and I had absolutely no doubt at all that the Lord would look after us and uh, even though we had three children and I wasn't working we were so confident that that's what the Lord had for us that we knew he wouldn't let us down it's a promise that he's made and he keeps his promises so yeah so both by example and by our own faith we knew that that was uh, the right thing to do in episode two, when I interviewed Joel and Kayleigh, one of the things I mentioned was that from a Christian point of view, we talk about faith and you mentioned being promised and God keeps his promises. But from an outsider's point of view, it's illogical to think that you could just give up your career, give up your job, have no set income coming into the home and that you're just fully relying on God providing but you'll have seen that firsthand. Do you have any examples that you could give of God meeting need? I appreciate I've put you on the spot on that one. There's just so many times where you just thought, didn't worry about it, but you were just anxious. You know, you knew a certain date in the month was coming up and so much was going to be coming off. And then, you know, Blair would come home from somewhere and somebody had unexpectedly given him a gift and, I mean, that just happens and happens over and over again. Yeah, I don't think... There's lots of little examples, isn't it? anything spectacular, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, we have had the time, you know, the kids are needing something or the date for the mortgage to come off is coming up and you're thinking, oh, this is trying to work out how will this work? And then the Lord steps in and somebody totally unexpected or somebody that's never done it before would a gift would come or somebody would hand in cash and we've had that 
cash in an envelope through the door, totally unexpected. Yeah, it's happened over and over. God doesn't give us a great lump of money and say, that's for the next year. Because if he did, we wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't rely upon faith. Yeah. Faith is that dependency that God will provide when we need it, not when we want it. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes to a mortgage, you know, I always like to check my bank account to make sure the money's there to pay the mortgage a couple of days in advance. If it's not there, I start to worry. If you're relying on the Lord and you trust that he's going to pay the bills, then he can often leave it late because that that way he shows it's him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we, you know, we've learned many lessons and it teaches you, you know, you can look back and see how the Lord has worked in that way and it gives you assurance for the future as well because he's done it for us so many times that, you know, you become assured that he will keep his promise and that your faith is not misplaced in any way. Yeah. So then Anna grows up, the youngest one grows up, all of the children go off to school and you start working in the same school so that's nice for the kids to see the mum every day. Well, I'm not I'm not so sure they agree. <laughs> not a grumpy mum in the playground as a pupil support worker, no, not so good. But uh, I mean, it worked great for us, obviously, because the, I could take them. I didn't work every day, but, you know, it was always, the timing was always good for them being, Blair could be away, so I really had to be available as well. So I started out as a parent helper and then, Got, got a job as a pupil support worker in their school. I enjoyed it, but I'm not so sure they did. <laughs> well, my cousin's mum was a dinner lady at our school. And I got wrong when I did things because someone told her and she told my mum. It's like, come yeah, on. No, you, you couldn't win. No. <laughs> <laughs> so then the main crux of the story is going to come about when you obviously find something which is wrong. I wonder if you could just explain how that circumstance came about. Yep, so it was the October holidays 2014. We were away, the girls and I were away with friends and I found a lump one morning. So I thought, right, I'll make an appointment for when we go home. So I phoned the doctor and she kindly gave me an appointment for the Friday afternoon that we were arriving home. I went to see her and she said she was just going to refer me into the clinic at St John's Hospital in Livingston. So that's what happened. I got an appointment there early November. Blair and I went in and uh, they did a scan and then back to see the the surgeon, the doctor there. He's looked at the scan and said, I'd like to do a, a biopsy or maybe an aspiration. I would like to have another look anyway. So fair enough. And I kind of had it in my head how it would go. I knew I would have the scan. I knew I would see the doctor again. I thought he'll have a look at the scan and say, it's fine. It's a cyst or whatever. So that's what happened. He got me onto the examination bed. He got the needle out and tried to do the aspiration. And no, that, that wasn't going to be good enough. So he said, no, I'm going to have to do a biopsy. So alarm bells started to ring at that point, to be honest. And he just went ahead and and did the biopsy there and then. So that was pretty unpleasant. But to pay him back, I threw up on his floor. (laughs) (laughs) Had a bit of a bad reaction to that. (laughs) So then, obviously, he sat and he chatted to us for a wee while. And we kind of thought from 
his manner. He wasn't too hopeful that it was going to be good news when the results came back. Okay. He didn't say it straight out, but we weren't getting positive vibes, to be honest. Just because the kind of extent of the investigation, I kind of thought, okay, he's kind of digging deeper. Anyway, he said, we'll do this and we'll get the results next Wednesday. So come back in next Wednesday, which happened to be Blair's birthday, unfortunately. We kind of left his room kind of disorientated and, you know, our heads were kind of all over the place, to be honest, because we hadn't really expected, well, I certainly hadn't really expected that. What do we do now? You know, kind of thing. We're going to have to wait, but not sure it's going to be good news. A week's a long time. Felt like a long time, yeah. You know, how do you prepare yourself? Do you tell the kids? Do you tell family? What do you do in this situation? This is something that was obviously completely new to us. We kind of decided that we would tell the family that I had been for the appointment because obviously the next week, if it was bad news, it was a lot to dump on everybody that, bam, this is what they've said. We came home we prayed about it for a while and we kind of got our heads together. Then Blair rang my brother-in-law, Stephen, who amazingly was doing a school assembly 20 minutes along the road. I mean, he literally could have been anywhere in the world and it was here in no time. So he sat and he chatted with us for a while. And it meant that, because it wasn't something I wanted to tell my sister over the phone. So it meant then he could go home and tell her and his kids we told our kids that we'd had this investment, nothing was definite, you know, we didn't know anything. Yeah. And then messaged my mum and we went up and spoke to them the next day. So told family what we knew at that point and the kind of feeling that we had about it. So, yeah, that was Thursday. And following Wednesday, we went back in. And obviously the, during that week, there'd been a lot of prayer family were great you know and they were very calm and reminded us we were in the lord's hands and no better place to be really you know when you're when you're waiting on news you know that was good everybody was praying for us those that knew so we went back in the next week and they confirmed pretty much what we had feared they would and said that yeah it was definitely breast cancer and then everything just went one thing happened after another, very, very quickly thereafter. That was the start of the journey anyway, and it was a long week. Yeah, I'm sure. How old were the children at this point in time? They must have been, let me think, so six years ago, 18 or 19, 15 and 11, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot for them to take on board. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot for them to take on board and obviously they they were left wondering for the week as well and then the day that we were going back, right, off to school, you go, you are going to school. Try and concentrate in lessons. Yes, and we'll see you when you get back kind of thing. Bethany was doing her hires and it was a lot for her then and also the next period of time thereafter. She was studying and doing her hires, but she did it, she did really well. So when you get the official confirmation, how do you feel? Is there any anger? No, no. We kind of felt almost like we were prepared for it. You know, we had kind of got our heads. He always said it might not, it might not, but 
we were pretty sure that you know that was the news we were going to get so we felt quite prepared but I mean no anger no animosity in fact you know Blair said at one point people ask why me why me and he said well why not us <laughs> why should it be somebody else why not us so yeah it was confusing you know it's really hard to pinpoint exactly how you felt because there were so many different feelings going on obviously anxiety and just not really knowing what to expect never really faced any major health issues as a family my aunt had been diagnosed with breast cancer a few years before and actually just at the same time she was told hers had come back we had that but for ourselves as a family we'd never really faced anything particularly like that before yeah it was quite confusing but definitely no no anger no anger no animosity just kind of confused and wondering where it was going to go next yeah do you think that as christians we often can be guilty of being complacent and just assuming that everything's going to be fine and our life is going to be fairly smooth and without many difficulties well, definitely for me, it was to that point. Yeah, I really hadn't had any difficulties. As I said, we had a great childhood, a lovely childhood in a country village and very, very stable home life and never had to worry about my mum and dad and family and things. So got a boyfriend at 18, had a good relationship. Again, stable. Kids came along. There was never any problems with, the, with their health rolling along thinking yes all's fine well knowing that you had faith you do have faith in God and we did have faith in God to supply our daily needs even at that point yeah when something like that crosses your path all of a sudden everything that you know in your head has to be put into practice yeah totally did you find that your faith was tested a lot at this point in time were there encouragements along the way you know, people strengthening you as you went through this initial difficult period? Absolutely, yeah. It was amazing the way the Lord would use things that you had heard or read or seen even years before, and it would come back to your mind. And once people started to find out that I had been diagnosed with cancer, there was just so much kindness and love and people praying for you, and all became intensely practical everything that you knew about God and about being God's family and about prayer and the scriptures and hymns and you know it all became such a necessary part of your life rather than just something that you do as part of the course there were so many encouragements and it was difficult Blair at the time was actually having a series of gospel meetings while all this is going on he's having to continue preaching yeah. as well. He got help with that and he got a lot of encouragement from people while he was still doing that as well. But you sent flowers, Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, people were so kind, really. And it made such a difference to us, particularly knowing that people were praying for us. Yeah. The power of prayer became very, very real to us. After the initial diagnosis which obviously is very bad news then you know you get word right you're getting sent for a chest x-ray in case it's spread to your lungs so people are praying about that and 
then, oh, it's good news, you know, it hasn't spread to the lungs. Bone scans, good news, you know, it hasn't spread to the bones. So these things are encouragements as well, you know, things that you'd never thought would be good news. But <laughs> relatively speaking, yes, they were really good news. And my dad, he travels, his work now is quite international. He travelled abroad and he met a man from South Korea who told us that his church were praying, her church were praying for your daughter. Wow. So, you know, it was international and it was something that we are very, very grateful for and was very real to us yeah, at sure. the time. What was the treatment which was involved? So they actually decided that rather than starting with surgery, they were going to do chemotherapy first. So they started with the chemotherapy, six rounds of chemo, and then they did surgery and then radiotherapy. The treatment took really from the beginning of December till about the middle of July the following year to be finished. And then for the next year, I was back in every three weeks for an infusion of a thing called Herceptin, which was to help stop a reoccurrence oh, yeah. of, the, of the cancer. So, But that was that, that didn't really have side effects or anything. I was just had to go in every three weeks. And what were the side effects to that treatment? Well, the first round was by far the worst. Okay. Um, I mean, they're very good. They take you in and they prepare you as much as they can, you know, for what's going to happen. And so I kind of had an idea of, you know, how it was going to go. But uh, nothing would have prepared me for how sick I was after the, the first round. It was just awful, absolutely awful. I started being sick a couple hours after coming home. That was just brutal. It was so intense. It just wouldn't stop. Anyway, went back in. Blair called the hospital and we went back in. They Over the next couple of days, they gave me meds and things and got it under control, got home again. But, I mean, it was pretty relentless. Next lot of chemo, which was three weeks after that one, there was a bit delayed because they had a big meeting and got me special meds to so to make sure that didn't happen again so yeah there were six six rounds of chemo and I was sick every time but not to the extent I was the first time so you would have maybe seven days seven to ten days of being sick and then a few days of being tired and sore and sore bones sore muscles and then a few days where you start to actually start to feel better and could function and get out even yeah so it Every cycle more or less took the same kind of... Um, and again, you know, the Lord was good. I didn't have any infections. Treatment was put off once or twice just because my white blood level was too low. Apart from that, kind of went in the same pattern pretty much each time. Progressively more tired, obviously, but a lot to be thankful for. I could have been a lot more ill with infections and things, which I wasn't. And one of the things which was a necessity was a wig at one point. Absolutely, yes. What was that like, My, going and choosing a wig and choosing your style and your colour? Well, see, to be honest, I mean, again, we had a lot to be thankful for. We really did have a lot to be thankful for. One of the things was my hairdresser is my friend. She came after I'd had my first treatment and cut my hair short and then she took it off for me once I was actually going for the wig. I like to be prepared, Dan. So I was way ahead of the time before my hair came out. I had been and got my wig so that there was 
no surprises if I woke up with no hair one morning. <laughs> my sister and I went to a place in Glasgow. They looked at the style that I had already and pretty much got a got a replica, great wig. My wig became my friend. I knew when I put my wig on and went out, I was feeling better. <laughs> so you didn't fancy a different colour, a style, maybe a Mohican? No, 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 no. I did get a shorter one for the summer because it was too hot, but the long <laughs> one was too hot. But no, I, I restrained myself and, yeah, I was pretty mainstream, conservative. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take before you got the all clear? Um, so the... Treatment pattern lasted until about the July, then, well, they tell you, as soon as they've done the surgery, they tell you whether they're happy that they've got all the cancer, all the tumour. And as I say, it was a blessing, it hadn't spread anywhere else. And also, because they did the chemotherapy first, they had done a couple of scans and the tumour had shrunk away. The, you know, the chemotherapy is brutal, but yeah. it was very effective, in my case particularly. So much so that they had to put a marker in because the surgeon wouldn't be able to see it with the naked eye. So the chemotherapy had been very, very effective. Once they did the surgery and did the pathology of the area that the tumour had been there, they were happy that they had got it all. And then they did the radiotherapy just to sweep up just in case. So again, that was really good news. And they never really tell you that you've got the all clear. And I think the phrase that they use is, no sign of disease or something something like that yeah but annual scans show that it's still it's still clear i had my five-year scan which is quite a, a bit of a milestone there in april and it was all clear as well so great that was good news yeah More good news that's excellent news yeah. do you think the experience has strengthened your faith definitely yeah absolutely no question as I say, you know, it became such a real thing. You know, it had been quite easy for me to have faith. I had been brought up with it. I had seen it working out in my mum and dad's life. I had seen it working out in our own lives as Blair giving up his work and things. But it wasn't really hard, you know, if you know what I mean, to, to have faith. There's absolutely no question that when it came down to it and you could see everything working out, practically and that you're uh, yeah it was just it was lots of things built up into a big confirmation of your faith yeah you know the Lord spoke in so many different ways as a couple and individually as well I mean I had been a bit anxious that if I was poorly and Blair had to stay home or didn't have the time to study that his service for the Lord would be affected but, I mean, the way the Lord worked it out, the, the dates of treatment and everything all worked, but, you know, that wasn't the case, which was a, a blessing and a relief to me as well. I think maybe one weekend he wasn't able to get away because it was too close to a treatment that I'd had. But apart from that, you know, he was able to continue his work for the Lord, which obviously is a big part of our life and a big blessing. Just people being there for you. Yeah. The, as I say, the... the the whole family of God being a support, that kind of outpouring of love that you felt towards you or towards us, I should say, as a family. You know, even, and that has continued as well. You know, people will still ask and you, you haven't been forgotten, which is great for me because obviously you want a reoccurrence. You want people to be praying about that as well. Yeah, there was just so many things that came together to be an absolute affirmation of 
God's love and God's faithfulness and it was verses and it was texts from friends and books that people would send and we just felt sustained through the whole thing and it was absolutely the hand of the Lord in it for us, no question. After your treatment you went back to work, you returned back to the school for several years but you were just saying earlier that now those days are gone, a lady of leisure. Yeah. I'm a lady of leisure just now, Dan. I'm going to be a gran in November, so I decided that I would give up my work. Well, it was lockdown. It was during lockdown, and obviously the schools were closed. Although I quite like this, actually. <laughs> Tea and cake at 10 o'clock, 11 well, o'clock, 12 o'clock. <laughs> Anytime you like. So, yeah, I mean, I think bit old for standing in the playground in the freezing cold so I thought let somebody younger do that do that job and I, I am kind of hoping it'll leave me freer to go away with Blair whenever that ha starts to happen again just be more available taking up painting by numbers actually don't don't put that in either well I did two during lockdown I loved it <laughs> Oh, it's great. <laughs> Although the kids aren't like, well, Anna's not liking it because I keep hanging them in the house. <laughs> like, they're not actually that good. But <laughs> Is it an art gallery? It's becoming an art gallery, yeah. The problem yeah. is the afters are really impressive, but the befores aren't quite so good when they've, somebody's already drawn the picture on for you. <laughs> Nobody needs to know that. <laughs> A few last questions. You just referenced your grandchild that's to be born very shortly and obviously you've celebrated two weddings, Johnny's wedding and yep. Bethany's wedding recently. Yep. Were yep. there days that had an added value and appreciation given what you went through? Yeah, I think they probably did, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that I think about all the time, yeah. you know, but obviously I am aware that there could be, a, you know, a, a reoccurrence especially when it's time for your annual checkup, you start to think, you know, are they going to find anything anything here? Yeah, because obviously, you know, it would have been awful if things had, had worked differently and the kids had, had been getting married and either was unwell or not able to be there. So, yeah, I think, well, from my point of view, I don't know if they gave it any thought or not, but from my point of view, I was very, very thankful. To, to be there, yeah, two amazing days that we had. You can rely on me to ask the morbid questions. <laughs> <laughs> Are you glad you're still alive? <laughs> so, death, let's talk. <laughs> so, so finally, uh, have you a Bible verse or reference that you particularly found helpful at the time or since? Yeah, definitely have. So you'll not be surprised that it's the Psalms. <laughs> Although, I mean, there were so many verses at different stages and at different times, but the ones that I remember the most was in Psalm 100. In the first couple of verses, you read the words, know that the Lord, he is God. And in the last verse, it says, the Lord is good. It kind of sums up the whole thing from our point of view, that the Lord is God, he's sovereign. You know, nothing happens without his hand in it. Something that was a big help to me was that his purpose is in it as well. It's not just random bad luck. Yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason. If it's happening to us for a reason, then that to his glory and that's good. But also the Lord is good. He's not vindictive. He's not been mean in any way. 
everything is for our good. So whatever we learned through that, whatever has been added to Blair's ministry or been added to me being able to help other people, you know, well, the Lord knows what, what his plan was in it, but it, it was good. You know, it was a good plan. And he has an eternal view on things that we can only see the here and now of that is good. And he, no matter what, he's good in the bad news and the good news. Yeah. Um, so that was a big help. You know, it's not just random. There is a purpose in this. And then Psalm 27, the verse in Psalm 27 near the end says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And uh, that's what we had to do a lot of the time, was just to to wait for the Lord. We didn't have the energy to do anything else a lot of the time. So you were just waiting on the Lord, and the Lord would fill your thoughts with verses and the words of hymns. The hymn from that Psalm 27, a different verse, but the hymn still, do you know, the hide me now under your wings. Yeah. Cover me within your mighty hand. Yeah, I'll, I'll sing a solo at the end for everybody. Go, do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, often I would just be lying there not able to do anything in the words, when the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. Very often that's all we could do, is just to, just to wait, just to be still and wait for the Lord's reassurance in it all and what a faithful god have i do you know that one Dan? yeah that was a great one we'll do yeah. a duet of that one at the end Faith, yeah yeah faithful in every way that was you know appealed to me faithful in every way but in all of the verses that you've quoted the underlying thing is it's faith isn't it it's trusting that god is good god's purposes are for good there's benefit in it, even though at times you can't see it and you don't know the outcome, but you just cling to the yeah. fact that he is who he claims he is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my sister said to me early on, after I was diagnosed, you know, the, what would be the worst case scenario for us would actually be the best for you because of what I had done when I was seven, because I put my trust in the Lord Jesus. I knew 100% that, you know, if the treatment failed, then I would be in heaven. Yeah. You know, so not great for the family, but great prospect for me. And again, something that I could hold on to. Whichever way things went, God was good and I had a future. Yeah. So it's fine when Sharon talks about death, but when I bring it up... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's that's the Christian's hope, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, it has to be. That's the power of the resurrection and it's that certainty. I wonder if there's one final question, because I've already had a final question, but one more final question. <laughs> Finally, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> if people are going through similar or will go through similar, what advice would you give them as a quote mechanism that you found helpful? Um... Well, practically speaking, I would say what I found really helpful was to be really prepared psychologically and practically know what's coming. So have a good idea of what to expect and side effects or anything that you can do to make it easier for you. I mean, the nurses are amazing and any question that you ask, they totally take seriously. 
Yeah, I would definitely say prepare. Find out when your hair's going to come out and get that wig in the cupboard <laughs> just so that you've got it. Don't lose your sense of humour. Yeah. We had some good laughs during it. You know, don't lose your sense of humour. Rely on the support family, your church family, and just be aware of people's prayer support as well. Draw on that strength. Most of all, acknowledge that God has a purpose in it. It's not bad luck. It is for a purpose. I found that really reassuring that it wasn't random. Well, thank you very much for your interview on Testimony Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed just sharing it with everybody. Not at all. I hope it made some level of sense. That I feel as if I've gabbled on. I let eh? all the craziness out so it'll be about 10 minutes long. I can. I know. <laughs> you try and make sense. Try and make sense of it. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. So I don't, I don't know how you're going to edit that because that's totally garbled but i'll just cut the whole section out and start again good luck with that one (laughs) if you've enjoyed this episode there are five previous episodes that you could listen to episode one is when graham and sheree hewitson share the story of their heartache during pregnancies i never once get angry at god which is the opposite from sheree because sheree get very angry at god yeah, I I did get angry with God. I went in a major huff with God. I wouldn't talk to him, wouldn't pray, <laughs> wouldn't read, wouldn't do anything to do. I just didn't want anything to do with God. In episode two, Joel and Kaylee Griffin share their call to leave Canada for Angola. And it's really interesting too that there, I'm sure there are many professionals in the developed world who are doing their careers, but they don't have fulfillment. They don't have a sense of fulfillment, and but yet when we are serving the Lord in the way that He has commissioned us to do so, the fulfillment is fantastic. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But when you see um, fruit for your labor, when you see people being impacted, when you see people drawn to Christ, fulfillment is wonderful and you realize this is what God made me for. This is what God called us to. And we, we've had people recently, multiple people say to us, I envy you. We envy you because you have purpose. You have a sense of calling and you're involved in something that's so great. And I don't have that, I wish I did. In episode three, We hear how Stephen Clegg gave up his secular employment to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into prison. During that meeting, God spoke to me very, very clear that he wanted me to go into prison. Now, when I got home that night, Judah said to me, God spoke to you tonight. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? She says, God spoke to you tonight. I said, why? 
And she said, because he spoke to me. And he said, that whatever you do, I've got to back you. Yeah. And that was 24 years ago. And she's been faithful to her word, and he's been faithful to his word yeah. for 24 years. In episode four, we hear from Amy Watt, who struggled with doubt and with a brain tumour. Because it's such a rare thing, you've got a 1 in 250 million chance of getting the thing that I had. Wow. So, yeah, they, they only do 12 operations a year in the UK, so it's, it's really, really rare. You know, they, they tell you things like, you'll probably survive, but you might not be able to walk, talk, sit, stand, eat, drink, and you'll almost definitely never teach again. So my thinking was, well, I've got this big date coming up the 16th of July, and either God's going to snuff me out, or he's going to prepare me for something else. And if he doesn't choose to snuff me out, then I should probably make sure I'm in the right place before I go into this thing. And I would say that's probably been the story of my life. It's always been a bit of a battle between me and God and, you know, what I want to do and what he wants me to do. But it was at that point that I, I did kind of think, right, no, you need to get serious about this. And I, I would probably say quite honestly that I was 23 before I started taking my faith in any way seriously. In episode five, we hear from Mark Nelson as he shares his story involving drugs, prison, and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ from atheism. They then said, you need to think about your life more. Maybe you should give Jesus a chance. Maybe you should consider having a relationship with Christ. I didn't can this man. You know, he didn't exist to me. At the time, and for many years at that point, I'd considered myself a, an atheist. And if pushed, I would class myself as an agnostic at the time. Yeah. Where, as far as I was concerned, either God didn't exist or you can, you can prove to me that he existed. But also running parallel to that was an anger towards God, which is a, a very strange situation to find yourself in. You're angry at something that you believe doesn't exist. So there was obviously something going on there. If you enjoy any of these episodes, please feel free to share them among friends. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 